jump into Genesis 26. You guys ready to go to work? I am so motivated about the sermon. Uh, and and it's, it's a weird, like on one, this is a paradox passage. Because on one level, you have all these stories about Abraham. And then Abraham dies and you have one chapter on Isaac and then all these stories on Jacob. Isaac at one level seems like there's not much going on. He's just the transition patriarch. He's the patriarch that gets us to the next patriarch. Um, but I have found at least, I, by, okay, this is the truth. When I stood up here first service, I had five good sermons that we could preach out of this passage. When I left, I was like, there's three more. The, like, there's so much going on in this passage that I would love to talk to you about. So none of that can be addressed at any depth. I want to step back and get a picture of what God's doing in his transitions from Abraham to Jacob and how God is using Isaac to tell that story. And um, I'm excited about this because it's really kind of cool how God brings Isaac back to the promise that God made with Abraham. And so if you remember, back at the beginning of Abraham's story, he builds an altar and he cries out to the Lord. And God shows up and makes a promise to him that the whole world was going to be blessed through Abraham's offspring. What's really important for us to note at this point is that God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham through his children, not through Abraham himself. And that matters. So we'll talk more about that. But he has this altar, he cries out to the Lord, God makes a promise. Then you move along, they take him to Canaan, they get to Canaan, and he has... Abraham's shepherds and Lot's shepherds quarrel about wells and not having enough water for their flocks. And there's not enough, and so they, so they part ways. Remember that story? And then we have this story that's like an absolute low point in the life of Abraham. It's this weird, like, doesn't fit with any of the rest of what we know about Abraham. And that's the story of Abraham and Abimelech. Abimelech from Gerar who's the king of the Philistines, and Abraham gives Sarah to him as a wife, claiming that she is his sister. And we go, like, I, it's such a weird story because I want Abraham to, like, I want there to be some deeper meaning in this where he wasn't really treating her bad, but as best as I can tell, this is just, he just really blew it. Like, this is a bad story. On, this is a black eye on the life of Abraham. And we kind of, he comes, his, his life starts with this promise, and then we have the shepherds, and then we have this moment with Abimelech. And then there's this weird, like, all this interaction with Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Isaac and all this stuff. And then Abraham dies. And we pick up the story of Isaac in Genesis 26. And this is really interesting, so check this out. Let's begin reading. Now there was a famine in the land. Okay, so let's stop there. We got a whole half a sentence in before I take a break. There was a famine in the land. So is the story that we're about to tell going to be an easy one or a hard one? It's going to be hard because there's a famine in the land. This isn't a time of plenty. So I want to I keep that in mind. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and he learned his lesson, and he's not going to do the same thing, right? 
And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. So God says, Isaac, I want you to stay here. Now, there's a famine, easy or hard? Hard. And God says, Isaac, stay here. But God wouldn't want me to have difficult circumstances, would he? Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For you and to your offspring, I will give these lands. Does this sound familiar? And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. Now, the question is, how do I get you back to the promise? How do I get you back to the oath that I swore to Abraham? How do I do that? I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and I will give your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of earth shall be blessed. Does this sound familiar? We've had this conversation before. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. Now, this is interesting. Why is God blessing Isaac? Because of Abraham. If you're a parent in the room this morning, maybe you ought to pay attention to that. Like maybe part of the fulfillment of God's blessing in my life isn't in my life. Maybe a chunk of it is in my children's lives. Make sense? I mean, remember when God came to Solomon and said, I'm going to tear the kingdom in two because of you? but not in your lifetime because of the faithfulness of your father, David. Like, there's a real reality that your faithfulness shows up as blessing in the life of your children. And your faithfulness before you're married, before you know who you're going to marry, before you ever have kids, your righteousness today sets the stage for your kids that you won't have until 10 years from now. So maybe we ought to pay attention to that because that promise happened 50 years at least before it was fulfilled. I got good news for you. God's faithfulness was providing blessing for you before you were born. So chill out and trust that God's got the story. Are you with me? All right, let's read on. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah. Does this sound familiar? Okay, so we have promise, God, build an altar, cry out to the Lord, God makes a promise. Alt, uh, Lot and the shepherds and the, the issue of the water and the wells and they separate. And then we have this low point in the life of Abraham with Abimelech of Gerar. And we pick up Isaac's story there in the same low place. Because she was attractive in appearance. <laughs> I so want to expound on that, but I don't have time. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah. We'll 
leave it at this. Laughing doesn't mean laughing. With Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she's your wife. Which, how could he get that from the fact that they were laughing together? Or maybe they weren't just laughing. How then could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, dun, 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 and we all should be going, wait a minute. I've heard that before too, but not in this story. Now, I want to show you a perspective of what it means that he reaped a hundredfold, okay? In this land, I want to make this clear before we get started, in this land, fivefold is a good return, Tenfold is a bumper crop. Twentyfold is a miracle. Okay? I want to show you the, a map of where Gerar is, where he's planting in this land. So let's throw the map up. Gerar is between Gaza and Masada by the Dead Sea. Okay? Just to give you a picture of what this land looks like, I want to give you a couple of photos. So let's throw the first photo up. Mm. Number one... Tons of level ground. <laughs> Number two, tons of moisture. Like if you don't like moisture, that's the Dead Sea in the distance there. That's the Dead Sea out there. This is the land that he planted in. Let me show you another one. Mm. That's actually standing on top of Masada. That's what it looks like. So picturesque. Right? It's like the Palouse after harvest. <laughs> Such a, I mean, this, it rains less than two inches a year here. There is no farmer that would ever assume that a hundredfold would even be possible. Now, Jesus tells a really interesting story that we don't have time to explore today about a sower who went out to sow some seed. And some of the seed fell on the path, and some of it fell among the rocks, and some of it fell among thorns, but some of it fell on good soil. And it produced 30, 60, or a hundredfold what was sown. There is only one other place in the whole Bible where the term a hundredfold is used. It's here, which raises the question, why in the world is this the remez of Jesus' parable? It's another sermon for another day. Beautiful place. I want to get one more, one more look of where they're living. Like, why are they fighting over this place, man? Move. <laughs> Move. All right, let's, re let's get back into the passage. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. Now, why was he being made wealthy? In order to be a blessing to all the nations, because that is the promise of Abraham, right? That's the promise that God gave to Abraham. So God is bringing Isaac back to the promise. So let's read on. 
He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham's father. Which doesn't sound, that's not very smart in a place like that. Because you're not, like you're not digging down a few feet. You're digging 300 feet down to get water. Like you're digging down. This is a desert. You're digging down there to get water. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we so Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water. Now, does this sound familiar? We have people separating over an issue of water. Does this sound familiar? The answer is yes. Promise of God to Abraham. Abraham builds an altar and cries out to the Lord. God gives him a promise. Abraham and Lot separate because their shepherds are quarreling about water. Abraham and Abimelech. Isaac and Abimelech quarreling about water. Do you see where we're going? God is getting Isaac back to the promise. Come on. That's cool. That's Bible geek stuff, man. That's awesome. Okay, Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, now this is different. This is a well that replenishes itself. So this in the desert, how valuable is that? A self-made source of water. This isn't a cistern. This isn't going to hold drainage water. This produces its own water. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen. This sounds familiar. Saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek because they contended with him. And then they dug another well, and, the, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So what I love about Isaac at this point, and here's a whole other sermon that we don't have time to explore. What I love about Isaac in this passage is... Isaac is in the land that God told him was his, right? God said, this is your land. And they come and throw a fit, and Isaac's like, okay, we'll move. Like, make no, make no mistake, my, my father dug these wells here that you filled in, and then we dug them back out again which is a chore, but hey, you take it. You can have it. We'll go somewhere else. What does it take for a guy like Isaac to be able to do that? I, like if, if he was an American, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, like, he'd be like, it's my right to be here, and I'm going to take you to court. Like, do you really believe... Where do we trust that the promise of God is being worked out in our life? Where do we trust that? Where have we ever been wronged so that God could prove himself faithful? Not us. We have rights. It's my right. It's my, it's my right. How about, 
be faithful. How about that? From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. There it is again. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. Have we heard that before? Verbatim, we've heard that before. And, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servant dug a well. Now, Isaac has gotten back to the promise. Now, what was the promise? That all the nations of the earth would be blessed because of him. So that they would know who God was. Now, check this out. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, which I'd love to, Fecal, I'd, I'd love to explore that, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? This is how Isaac feels about what's going on in the midst of his staying faithful to God's promise. What he's experiencing is, this sucks. Like, why, why do I, I'm being faithful. Why do I keep being mistreated? I'm doing the right thing. Why isn't this working out? I think that's pretty powerful. And, and maybe... There's a lesson there for us because for you and me, we don't like being faithful to the Lord in the messy places. What we like to do in the messy places is call out to God and say, you abandoned me. Where are you, God? You said, you said, I don't know if you guys remember, um, if you grew up in the church in the late 70s and 80s, you remember the Imperials? Anybody in here with me? Anybody? Yeah, the Imperials, I had an eight-track of the Imperials. That'll date it a little bit, give you a little perspective. They had this song, right, this keep on casting your bread upon the water, right? You guys know this song? Soon it's going to come back home on every wave, measure, press down, shaking together, running over. Yeah, we love that, right? We love that song. Here's what we don't love. We don't love the big suck sandwich we got to eat to get there. When, when is this so, like, I'm throwing seed, I'm throwing seed, but the tide keeps going out. Come on, Lord, step up. You said you would show up. You said it. You said it, and you're not. That's what you see here. These people hate me. And maybe, maybe there's a lesson there for us. That in the midst of being faithful to God's promise in our life, sometimes it's really hard. And the problem is, if we don't get on the other side of hard, we never get to reap a hundredfold. If we don't keep the soil of our heart good with God, we don't ever get to see a hundredfold blessing of God. And we miss, not because God was never going to do a miracle, but because we bail out too soon. 
And maybe there's a lesson there. They said, because, now listen, because Isaac acted in a way that brought honor to his God, even in some really difficult situations where he was getting pushed out and pushed out and pushed out, even then, they said, the people from Gerar said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. You probably ought to underline that. Because when we're faithful in the middle of the suck sandwich, people see God at work. And maybe that's worth it. Maybe the way we change the world isn't the evidence of the blessing of God so much as it is the faithfulness of us to wait for it. And then when it comes, there's no way around it. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will not do us harm. Just as we've not touched you and have done you nothing but good, which is hysterical because that's a total lie. Like we did everything good for you except push you out of your home and then do it again and then do it again. Like we did everything fine except that. Uh, And have sent you away in peace. Now you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast. And we just read that and go, interesting, so they, they ate together. No, this is maybe Isaac's greatest act of faithfulness to God's promise. Understand that you don't eat with your enemies. In order for Isaac to do this, he must forgive them. Now, here's the part that's hard for me. Maybe it's hard for you. I love a good vindication story. I love when somebody gets mistreated, 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 and then all of a sudden the mistreater sees the error of their ways and comes back and is like groveling. I love that moment, the groveling moment, right? Love that moment. That is not what happens here. They come to Isaac and own nothing. They take responsibility for nothing. They're like, we didn't even mistreat you. We didn't. Like, you should be thankful. We treated you, sent you away in peace. We were good to you as we kicked you out of your home. We, We were. Like, you need to treat us good the way we've treated you so good. Like, if I was Isaac, I'd be like, okay. All right, I got some treatment for you. They come recognizing that Isaac is the person in power now, and he has the authority in the relationship. Remember this struggle with authority. God brings him back to the promise, and his first act in the position of authority is what? Forgiveness. Oh, come on, that's powerful. His first act 
is not like Sarah and Hagar. It's not like Abraham even. This is a moment where he has the right to get, make them pay. And he doesn't. He has the ability, the capacity, and probably the desire to make them pay. And what he does is he brings them in and he forgives. Because that is what God's people do. Oh, by the way, that'll change the world. So he made them a feast, and they ate and they drank. And in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. And that same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we found water. He called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Be'er Sheba to this day. Now here's a weird statement. And when I, Esau was 40 years old, he hasn't even been born yet. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Besamat, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. I would invite you to consider this story in so many ways is about God's faithfulness when I don't see it. This story is about the fact that just because I don't feel God at work or I'm not getting my way, and my way isn't evil, I just want to be happy. I just want to, I want to, if God would just swoop in and give me millions of dollars, I could be so generous. Right? If God would just swoop in and fix all the people around me, then we could get along better. I know, the, not that I have any work, but if God could fix all the people around me, like I'm fixed, I'm whole. You guys are the broken ones. <laughs> Maybe the mess of the journey is a part of what helps the resolve of God fulfilling His promise be so powerful. And so for those of us that don't have kids, that will never have kids, there's a message in this for you too. This isn't just about family legacy. This, this is about fidelity to a task that blesses the world because God promised it would. Whether you like it or not, whether you see it or not, God is in the business of redeeming people's stories. And even in your mess, and maybe especially in your mess, when you're faithful, God redeems the stories of people around you. And so with that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. So if you're new with us today, we have an open table, and that means that anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake. But we want you to hold those elements till the end, and we will take them all together. So while they're passing that out, we're going to work through some implications. Implication number one, God wants to redeem every story. 
Now, if you've been with us journeying for a while, you know that last summer I preached a sermon called God Wants to Redeem Every Story. I believe that every mistake in the Bible that any of the biblical characters make gets redeemed somewhere else. There's obvious ones, there's more subtle ones, but I think you can find it. Uh, God takes even Abraham's biggest mistake, even the point where he was probably furthest away from God's promise, and he begins Isaac's story there and moves him back towards the promise that was always true and was always going to be true. The question is, will we hang in there long enough to see it? Because you know this, when you're living your life and you're trying to be faithful, people don't always see what you're doing as faithfulness. Sometimes people see it as a lot of different things. Sometimes they treat you poorly for it. And here, that leads me to my next implication. Not everyone sees God when you act righteously. Isaac was displaced from his home twice by acting righteously. And he graciously moved and then was moved again. Like just because you act righteously doesn't mean that everybody's going to see it as righteous. Which leads me to my next implication. Be righteous anyway. Because it's not about people's perception or the circumstances that are going on around you that determines whether or not God's going to fulfill His promises in your life. Be righteous anyway, even when they don't understand it, even when they call you names for it, even when they act foolish around it, even when they act in anger or disgust towards it. Be righteous Anyway, <laughs> that leads me to my last implication. Isaac reaped the harvest Abraham sowed. That's what the scriptures teach. What are you sowing for your children? What are you sowing for your children? This is a powerful truth because we don't often think about the implication of our faithfulness in the lives of our kids. Now listen to me. Your kids have their own free moral agency and kids are kids. They're, they don't have a brain even until 25, I don't think. I hope that's when they get it back. That's what I'm told. I mean, they got to find their own journey, and I get it. Like, it's not a, simp it's not a simple equation. Uh, you know, A plus B doesn't always equal C when you're parenting. But what is the legacy that you are leaving for your children? What is the stories that they will tell of your faithfulness, or will they tell other stories? And this is true even if you don't have kids, even if you don't even know who you're going to marry yet, even if you're never going to have kids. If you never have a child, your legacy matters because the ripple effects of your life echo in other generations. Like, this is just true. The, the legacy that you leave, what your life is about. I, you know, I love... Having parents, 
who were not perfect, but who were the real deal. My, like my parents weren't one way in front of people and another way at home. If they were going to fight, they would fight right in front of you. You know, my, my parents have been married 50,000 years, I think. I don't I think they, like the, they, were, they weren't the first wedding after Noah came off the ark, but I think they were in the first five. Like, people lived a lot longer then. <laughs> At their 50th wedding anniversary, we had a celebration in this room, and I, and I shared this with the family and friends that were there. My parents' legacy isn't a story of 50 years of wedded bliss. Some of it was really, really hard. But it is a legacy of faithfulness to the fact that before God, I said I would choose you and no other. And because of that, I can't walk away from my own marriage I can't, because that's not what our family's about. Does that make sense? Like, that ripple effect matters. I mean, my mom is sainted, because I know my dad. But that legacy matters in the times when it's a mess and everything, like it feels like everything's hanging by a thread. And gosh, there are times for all of us in our world where it would be easier to just cut the strings and walk away. I get it. But faithfulness to the task reaps a harvest of blessing for the people that we have led, influenced, and raised. And that's worth it even if it never changes in my own story. That's what the Christian life is all about. That's what communion is all about. It's about remembering that we serve a God who will lay it all down without need to take it back up because you're worth it, because you matter to Him, because the story that He's telling needs to be told in a particular way. This reminds us that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So do this in remembrance of me. And then he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness, even in the midst of our deserts, even in the midst of our crazy circumstances. You are the God who reaps a hundredfold in a place with no water. And so, Lord, for those of us that are sitting in our deserts this morning, we're crying out to you right now, God, saying, God, redeem our story. Redeem the story. I feel like I've been walking for so long and don't know where you are. Lord, show yourself faithful. You've said, God, that you will show up. We're waiting. We're expectant and we're ready. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, 
connect with us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.